everybody, and welcome to the Poetry Space. I am excited to feel rejected during today's space, or at least to learn from the feeling of feeling rejected. We're going to be attempting to add Tim as a co-host today instead of a speaker, and we'll see if it works this time. It's been a while since we've attempted this, but now we are both in California, so it seems a little bit lower stakes when, worst case, we can just do it from the same room if need be. All right, let's see. It says Timothy Green is now the co-host of the space. Let's see if that's accurate. Hey, Katie, I think that worked this time. I think we figured out the problem was that the I was pushing the button too fast. And so I wasn't giving Twitter <laughs> enough time to, or X enough time to rebrand. And so, um, <laughs> so it wasn't accepting his co-host. But now I think it worked. I think it worked perfectly that time. Is it ironic that this is the first time you've been not rejected as co-host by Twitter when we're talking about rejection today? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, so what are you drinking today, Katie? <laughs> well, that's funny. I'm drinking the Americano that you just poured for me about one minute ago. So thank you for that. I have a feeling you have the same one in your office. I do. I have the other half of your marriage. <laughs> so let's let's start with a, um, an opening poem. And I picked this one because it was a poem of the day recently pulled out from the archives on Rattle. So I, it was on the top of my head. But this is a poem uh, about rejection by Kristen O'Keefe Aptowitz, who's a brilliant poet. She's a you know great slam poet. I think she's been on championship teams or maybe won individual slams. Uh, you know, so she's great like that. Also, just a great writer in general. She won the Neil Postman Award for Metaphor um several years ago and uh, even so this is one of her reactions to a rejection letter so i'll read this now this is kristen o'keefe aptowitz op-ed for the sad sack review regarding news of another rash of writer suicides in a fit of gloom i googled the word failure just to see if my name would come up instead google told me i misspelled the word failure recounting this makes me feel like i'm starting a very weepy poem or, or a very dull suicide note Never begin a wedding toast with a dictionary definition of marriage and never begin a suicide note by saying you Googled the word failure. These days, the number one thing preventing me from killing myself is likely the idea of people learning of my suicide via Facebook status updates. There's no dignity in that eulogy. It's collections of sad face emoticons stuttered with apostrophe tears. This is a dumb reason to keep living, but it is a reason. I'm sure all of you other sad sacks have your reasons too, so let's cling to them. Let's all agree that living for a dumb reason is better than killing yourself for a dumb reason. Let's feed tears to the dragons of misery, but let's never crawl into their mouths. Let's write terribly bad poetry, dressed like late-era Rothkos, where are out the relentless hate machines of our brains, but let's never break. Let's keep living. We can do this, trust me. Sincerely yours, me, a poet who doesn't even know how to spell the word failure. And uh, Kristen O'Keefe afterwards wrote that poem right after uh, getting a rejection letter. So that's how, uh, that's how it feels for everybody. Yeah, it definitely does. And I hope that too, we'll like kind of cover with rejection. You know, I'm really excited to hear your perspective that's not as well known as an editor with rejecting people because, you know, so often, especially on Twitter, you just hear people talking about the feeling of getting rejected, how obviously it's, it's not super fun. But at the same time, you know, I've, learn so much from hearing your side of rejection. And, you know, I, we've said that you've probably rejected more poems than any other person. So I think we need like a rough figure to know how many people, how many rejections we're talking about you having sent out. Well, let's see, we have, um, gosh, I wasn't thinking about a rough figure, but uh, 
we right now we about I send about um, sixty thousand rejection letters a year, I think. And I've been doing that, you know, it's been at that volume for the last several, uh, before that it was, you know, creeping down to 10. So 10 to 60,000 every year for the last 20 years. Let's say uh, 40 times 20 is maybe 800,000 rejection letters. Is that right? I think that's right. 800,000 rejection That's my number. I think that is right. Yeah. You, you Sorry for making you... to help. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that question, and yet I just did. But I was looking at your college report card earlier, so I know that you're up for doing the math live. So <laughs> that's good. Thanks, Katie. But yeah, so, you know, I think, uh, I don't know what the perception is of people, uh, you know, I, I've heard a lot that, that uh, you know, imagining that we enjoy it, you know, like it's some kind of like, haha, you know, we'll uh, get you now, we'll feel superior because we're sending out rejection letters. But I've never talked to an editor that feels that way. And Mark Danowski's here. He can probably attest to it later. But uh, it, it's a terrible feeling sending uh, sending bad news to so many people. Like, you you know, especially on Submittable now, it's a mail-merged, aggregated thing, although I've always done mail-merges. But um, knowing that one click is sending the bad news to, you know, like a thousand people at a time is, um, I don't know, it's hard to do. And it's hard to get the wording right. You try really hard to, you know, both let people down gently, but not be um, like pedantic either to people who are, you know, part of the game for such a long time and don't need their handheld. And so it's really hard to find that balance and try to keep people, um, you know, because you, you want people, as a, you want people to keep sending poems and writing poems. And it's a hard thing to do to um, have to turn people down over and over and over again, knowing that, you know, maybe the next time is the time you wouldn't. And so you want to keep them, keep the poems coming. Um, and so that's a part of it too. It's it's complicated. Yeah, I've been rejected enough times that I've I've seen you know a huge array of of the rejection submittable notices, and I have to say you can kind of sense the editor's discomfort with sending the rejection, where they're like they're like trying to hold the rejection at arm's length a lot of the time. And I think that your rejection letters really because I've received those as well. Uh, back when I was <laughs> to rattle, you know, those really, they hit the right note. For me, I think the right note is to be um, encouraging, but matter of fact, and in that direction, I think for me personally is is what's good. I mean, basically too, I mean, I just am scamming, skimming the letter if I don't see acceptance as coming from submittable anyway, to be fair. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are, but then, but then some people aren't, you know, some people you know, when you're doing a whole pool of things, sometimes someone's first submission and they have no idea what it's like. They think that, you know, anything they write is going to be accepted and then it's not. And so it's important to, you know, let those people down gently at the same time as, you know, not letting people, uh, you know, not offending people who are, who are used to it all. So it's a really difficult thing to navigate, actually. And we used to have um, two tiers or two, I used to track this in the database when it was easier. Submittable, actually, this is one of the things that Submittable made impossible. Um, we used to be able to have, um, um, you know, I used to enter things into a database and then mail merge out of there. And I used to have two separate letters, one for people who had submitted before and were more veteran writers. And another one that was more gentler for people who um, were submitting to Rattle for the first time and were more novices. And now with Submittable, you can't really do that since we read the submissions, you know, mostly anonymized. Um, you know, I could sort of filter it out at that level, but then I have to check every time for the poet and I can't really do that. Whereas after the fact, it was checking, you know, in the past it was checking before each, uh, you know, before actually just sending the letter, but I'd already read and decided it. So 
I don't know. So it's a difficult thing to balance there. Uh, but you uh, just wrote your first uh, rejection letter, Katie. Um, what was that like for you as you're starting to um, do uh, the prop poem series for us? You're going to be our prop poem series editor at Rattle with uh, picking the prop poem of the month every month. So you have to come up with a rejection letter and, and figure out how to handle that. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, it was a, it, it's really weird because my, my first draft, I was basically just trying to copy your voice, Tim, and you, Tim's comment was like, you know, Katie, it can sound like it's from you. You can write in your own voice. And my problem is, though, too, is like I can be like overly encouraging. The reality is when somebody reads this, they're going to be a little bit disappointed. But I think what I want to try to do um, actually comes somewhat from my poker background, which is just I think that people have a bad concept in general of estimating the chance of something. Um, and that's something that probably before poker, I wasn't very good at. But I understand, you know, if uh, if I'm submitting to a contest that, you know, ha gets a thousand entries, which would be relatively not that big of a contest, really, in the world of, of bigger poetry magazines, um, my chance is really, really small, even if my poems are great, you know. And so I, I want to try to, in my rejection letter, I'm planning to try to, you know, try to hint at how many there are, just because I know that there are going to be many great poems you know, and, and it's going to come down to which one, I guess, particularly hits me and feels like the strongest in that moment when I'm actually choosing. So I'm not looking forward to the aspect of rejecting people, that's for sure. Yeah, that's one thing I always try to include. Um, and I think I have for, for as long as I can remember, is some kind of sense of the volume, because I think a lot of people don't understand that. Um, and so with the Poets Respond, I'll, I'll have like, you know, 211 poems this week or whatever and the frastic challenge and things like that. And for the general, I'll try to sort of give a general stat for that. Um, Cause that does help to know, although, you know, it, it's hard to even conceptualize at the same time what, you know, I think our acceptance rate is 0.2% overall. Uh, and so it's hard to, to actually conceptualize that like one in 500 people. Like if you think of a last time you were in a room with 500 people and then you, one of those people get picked, you wouldn't think, you know, that, it was some personal thing that you weren't the one picked. You would just think, Oh, there's 500 people here. But, uh, but when you're just sitting at your computer and, or, you know, emailing back and forth or whatever, it, it, it's hard to sort of visualize that. I think. Yeah, it definitely is. And for me, when I have, most of the time when I'm, I'm just expecting to be rejected, you know, it's the reality of things. And um, occasionally there will be some contests where I feel like my poems are particularly well suited for it or something like that. And where it will be like, you know, six months since I've heard anything and I start to maybe get hope, which is not a great idea. I think one should remain as detached as possible, honestly, from the submission process. Um, but it, it's, it's when I, I kind of overthink like, oh, these are, these are great poems. And I start to get a little cocky. And that's, that's a problem because it's not, you know, it's not just about that. Every contest is going to get a tremendous number of great poems, uh, I think. And uh, I want to ask you, Tim, one question before I think George has his hand up because he recently had to send out rejections, I believe, on behalf of the anthology that he curated in conjunction with the verse verse. So I'm guessing that's why he's raising his hand. But I was curious first, Tim, because uh, I have never asked you this before. How have you know, you've been with Rattle for almost almost 20 years. How have the rejection letters changed that you send out over time versus, you know, when you were first sending them out? Well, I, um, you know, they, they sort of evolve slowly over time, just uh, with like the iterative feedback you get. And so sometimes I would say something that was a little too bold or something. 
And then I'd notice that people were a little more upset than usual. And I'd stop saying that. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and certain, I don't know, I, I've tried different ways of phrasing things. And you kind of settle on the way that appeases the most people, which is all you can do. You can't please everybody, but you can do your best to get the most people as happy as possible. And it really is. There, there's a lot of... Um, when people reply, you know, we started, uh, when I started out for the first 10 years, it was just email. I was doing submissions. Um, and I had a software program that took from our database and fed out a mail merge letter uh, over email. Then we switched to submittable. Um, and either way, if anybody replied, I always got the reply back. And so I always, I always read those and I reply to the replies, you know, as much as I can, which is usually. And, you know, I take notes in, in my head and, and see, hey, I, should, I shouldn't phrase that that way or, you know, and, and I shouldn't have gone on this long or this is too far. I mean, you know, if you write a letter too long, people don't read it. If you write too short, people think it's short. So there's all these things that, that add up into what makes it work the best possible. Um, but then you still have people that are upset. I also found, I think I mentioned this in the past episode, that if you, you don't want to send rejection letters at night because the, the percentage of people who are drunk when they receive them is much higher. <laughs> so it's better if you uh, shoot for the morning on the East Coast when people are just drinking their coffee instead of uh, when they're two sheets to the wind. But uh, that, that's when you get a lot, of, uh, <laughs> a lot of death threats is when you send them at midnight. So uh, that's a little different. <laughs> and probably not like on Christmas. Probably not send them out on Christmas. I would say in general. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. Well. Christmas and New Year's, you skip that day, even though you could send them out because I still am probably working those days. But um, you probably but yeah. are. But <laughs> you skip the holidays. Almost I one person say, or actually more than one. Like multiple people have been like, um, "How dare you send a rejection on my birthday?" <laughs> like I know everyone's birthday, so um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> that's that's funny because I mean as you're probably aware Tim as you threw an entire birthday celebration for me yesterday that was amazing um Brian O'Sullivan who's a regular on the Rattlecast open lines commented that he hoped I had a rejection free day which is very funny because he knew we were going to do this based on this today but it was funny because I thought like yeah I didn't get any rejections and then I rescanned my email I was like no I actually did get a poetry rejection <laughs> I just put it from somewhere else because we get so many um but that's the point. I think they should blend in. And like I'm saying like a detached thing, because for me, it really is like poker. The way I played poker was as a numbers game. I tried to play 150 tournaments a day when I was playing. And I knew that the results would come if I just kept playing because from the math, I knew I was playing well. But that doesn't mean, you know, there are so many, so many different forms of luck, obviously. And that's applicable to poetry as well. Yeah, it's, it's just a great way to think of it, you know, and, and you have to um, sort of be dispassionate about it and think of it as a game you know, you're playing, you know, I mean, people line up to uh, pull those one armed bandits in Vegas and sit there all day. And, uh, and, you know, they find that fun because the lights are flashing. So just think of it that way as you're pulling the slot. And, you know, trying to get your your soul out in the world, which is a sad way to, to have to do it. But that's the game we play. And so, um, so, you know, keeping at it. And I know you're in and you like those groups. There's like, is it 100 rejections a year is the goal or something like that? Yeah, it's um, Rejection 100 for anyone that wants to join the group on Facebook. And I love this group because what it really does, it, Joe Barca, who couldn't be here this week, but is a regular with us, uh, got me into the group. And what it does is it puts the focus on, you know, hitting 100 getting a hundred rejections in a year, because if you've got a hundred rejections, A, you probably have some acceptances. I would say if you get literally a hundred rejections and they're not all to just like, you know, top tier places, which there aren't 
you know, 100 top tier places, so that math wouldn't check out right there, then you're probably getting acceptances somewhere too. But it really is celebrate the effort, um, not as much the victory, you know. And, you know, for me with poker, the reality was that because I focus on the on the process and the work, the actual work and what I could control, it did make it so that when I did win a tournament, it wasn't as big a deal to me because I didn't, you know, I, that was a numbers win, so to speak. It was the culmination of all the work I put in. And that's how I view it a lot of times too, when I, when I do get a poem accepted. Yeah. There's a, I wrote a blog post on this a long time ago, like 2008 or so, but there's a concept in baseball, which is, is similar to how poker works. You know, you want the edge where your odds of winning will be 52% if you iterate enough over 52% of the time, you'll, you'll win in the long run. And there's similar kind of thing that happens in baseball. It's called batting average on balls in play. And so for people who aren't sports fans, you may have no idea what I'm talking about here, but once you hit the ball, there's almost nothing you can do as long as it's in play. Cause it's sort of a, a random crapshoot. And so I think the uh, major league average for a batting average on balls in play is around two, two eighty or something like that. Um, because that's just how good the defense is and you can't really control where it goes. Um, and so the, the best hitters sort of hit the ball extremely hard and hit line, have a higher line drive rate. You know, they don't hit pop-ups, they don't hit grounders, they hit more line drives. And that increases your odds slightly where it's like your batting average on balls of play is like 310, you know. And then a bad player who hits a lot of pop-ups, well, it'll be like, like you know, 270 or something like that. And so anyway, there's not a lot of variance within that batting average on balls in play. And that's really how submissions are. You know, the best player, like like once you hit it, you can hit a hard line drive and, um, you know, maybe it goes right into a glove and you can hit a pop-up and maybe like a bloop between the two fielders and it lands in. And over the course of time, the better, you know, the better you are as a writer, you increase your odds slightly, but it's only slightly still. I mean, I um, I submitted uh, a manuscript to a couple of places and I think I know what I'm doing with poetry. And I didn't even, it wasn't even like long listed for the, for the book contests. And so, you know, you just never know. Um, and, and you just kind of have to keep stepping up to the plate and making contact. And, and that's, you know, the only way you can uh, do worse than your batting average on balls and play is if you strike out a lot. <laughs> and so, uh, and that would be by not submitting would be the analogy there. If I've not beaten this metaphor to death. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm so glad I'm learning more about baseball just because it's so ripe with metaphors. I feel like that alone would be reason to learn more about baseball. Well, it's such a slow game. There's a lot of time to think about metaphors between every pitch. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> I'm learning that as well. It is true. All right. Well, let's go ahead. George Casano has had his hand up for a while. George, I hope you're raising your hand to talk a little bit about this NFT uh, community anthology that you did in conjunction with the Verse Burst. Um, I'd love to hear about your experiences with rejection and, and sadly having to reject people with that. Yeah, um, I, I actually had it easy with this, but that's 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 actually the uh, that's the reason I raised my hand. Uh, the, so I did the uh, you know, I curated this anthology, um, but I was lucky in that I didn't have to actually send any rejections or acceptances that was done by Elizabeth Sweet and she's there in the audience. So if you may, you know, if one of you guys wants to invite her up, I'm sure she'd be, she would be ecstatic to talk about how she felt and, uh, you know, rejecting and accepting, you know, sending out those things. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, my original point was going to be that, uh, just the sheer, the sheer amount of, uh, entries that you get, you don't, you know, as a poet, when you get rejected, just like you were saying, you don't realize the extent of all the other people, the number of other people that are also submitting. And so it's very easy to, you know, when you get a rejection, it's very easy to take it personally. But uh, being now on the other side where I was curating, 
um, although I didn't actually do the rejection letters, I had this really long list and I, you know, and it was hard to pick the, pick the ones that I, that I let through. So uh, it's, uh, I just wanted to add that, add that out there. Well, that's great. Thanks for doing that. And we have Elizabeth up, so we can definitely, Elizabeth, how are you doing? And what was your experience like with uh, dealing with, I don't know if you've had experience with dealing with rejections uh, before with the verse verse or anything, but how did you find it with the community anthology? Hey, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, this is a great question. And it was just, you know, it's top of mind, because uh, we just did release the anthology a couple days ago. And um, I was thinking back to sending the rejection. And I, I've been rejected, of course, um, not only, in po you know, in lots of different areas of life, whether that's school or, you know, anyway, and um, it's, it's always really hard. And I think there's like a there's a there's a difficult balance between wanting to be compassionate, but then also not wanting to be like apologetic or, you know, you don't want to be too like um, evasive when you when when you when you reject someone, um, especially with this sort of role that I had, it was really hard to like write it to 60 people, um, some of whom I know. And it was just this it was really sad, honestly. Like I remember texting the team and being like, I can't write this. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's just really hard. It ended up being like probably way too long of a rejection letter. Um, but I thought that it required, like I wanted to give it more time and space than just like a couple of lines. Like, thank you for your submission. You've been rejected at this time. Um, because I do think that, you know, people put time and effort into what they submit. I mean, you would hope. Um, and so I wanted to put time and effort into you know, rejecting them as well. Um, but it was, it was tough for sure. And I want to linger on the fact that some of them were friends, like some of these people were friends. And um, that was tough because you know that people aren't submitting to these just on a whim. Like there's a lot of intention that goes into it. Think of how many people don't submit to, um, to an open call or to, or to a submission. Like it really takes a lot to like get everything together and, click that button um so yeah it was tough but you know like they say someone has to do it well I'm sure that you did an amazing job just from the intention you know and how important it was for you to do an amazing job I'm sure that they were they were really thoughtful good letters and everybody likes a long letter anyway so I'm sure it wasn't <laughs> too long so don't don't worry about that but uh, we had a really good uh question from Attractive Fahey uh, to paraphrase, she was just asking your thoughts in general, everybody, about um, replying to rejections, you know, to once you get the rejection, if you should reply, because um, I'm interested, Tim, to hear your thoughts on this, because I actually some of the time do. If I get a personalized rejection, I do reply to it, or one that I think is person, I'm pretty sure is not a copy and paste, then I'll just say thanks. Or if it's a journal where I got a fast response, where maybe I wasn't expecting one, I will just say, like, thanks for the fast response. And then occasionally, like if it's not poetry, I have had a situation where I was I was told that I was basically like runner up for writing this poetry column to a journal. And I wrote back and was like, I'll write it for free. I just really want to write it. And then didn't hear back. So I don't know if there's something that, that people don't do or how you feel about it, Tim, when somebody replies uh, to a rejection. Although I have to say most of the time I have to say it's probably not a positive response like I'm trying to talk about. Yeah, well, the, the positive responses are nice and sort of necessary. I mean, maybe you get burned out on the negative ones. I don't know what the negativity bias, you know, makes the ways the scale, but 
you probably need like 10 positive ones to outweigh the the really angry one calling you uh you know i mean <laughs> there's, there's some pretty funny ones that people have sent over the years uh you know making fun of my uh, hairstyles or or uh you know the way i talk and all sorts of stuff um you know pulling up my own poems and, and you know ripping on them or uh, threatening to uh you know say they're going to punch me the next time they meet me all sorts of kind of things like that come up and then so the uh you know, the, the nice ones uh, really mean a lot, actually. You know, it's nice to hear just somebody say, oh, thanks for your time, you know, and it's uh, just a sign that they're not, like, angry with you because it really does feel like such a negative thing. You're, you're, I feel like every time I push that button, it's sending this, like, wall of negativity into the world, and then I hope that the positivity that we bring through all the things that we do at Rattle, like, outweighs that by a considerable amount, I hope, but uh, but sometimes you wonder because you're, you're pushing this, like, wall of sadness out every time you have to send a wave of a so, um, so the positive notes really do. I, I appreciate them. And anytime somebody strikes up a discussion at all, I enjoy that. Um, I also too, I don't know if it's normal, but the, the letters coming in, this maybe a, this should be another show, Katie, but, uh, the, um, the cover letters, you know, when people say interesting stuff in there, um, you know, that's always a fun thing to read. <laughs> and so I like those too. I like anytime you have a personal connection, I think it's a good thing. Even if, uh, it doesn't work out for you, I think it, it usually, uh, does in the aggregate well that's why i think it's amazing that too when you get a response you you reply to them with you know i've seen your inbox it's overwhelming and you still find time to, to try to reply to people individually and do a great job of that um we haven't heard yet from mark fitzpatrick who has his hand up how are you doing today Chris? i'm excellent thank you very much um one thing that strikes me in this back and forth is how uh personal it seems like both to the people that are getting these rejection letters and from the editor standpoint, where um, I don't know if it was just years of being in, in sales that desensitized me to caring about rejection. Is, I, I, what's the argument against just making it more impersonal? Like I think in, the, in the, this day and age, like we're also used to being spammed and just the volume of stuff. Like if you don't, if you don't understand that the other side has like tens of thousands of of items in their inbox and you know so do you like it's i think that's probably maybe i don't know 10 years ago or 15 years ago maybe that was less the case but now everyone's just barraged by notifications and um why not just make it more impersonal and instead of worrying so much about like oh i'm, I'm sending out all this this negative stuff or from the the writer's standpoint like just hand-wringing when they get the rejection like just be more detached about it, just send something boilerplate and, and move on. And, and even it's, if it's for someone who's getting their first projection, you know, that's probably a good lesson for them to have something impersonal come in where, you know, they can just, they can take it personally maybe in any way they want for a bit and then just come to realize that, yeah, none of this is personal. It's just, you know, it's just how the world is. So I'd be curious to hear any arguments against just going to the other extreme and just not caring so much. Yeah, well, I think the difference between uh, between this and other fields like marketing or, you know, it's a it's a poem is sort of the deepest truth that you're trying to find in your soul or something, you know, I mean, you're really digging down deep into your own creative spirit to make something new in the world. And to have that turned down is a lot different than having, you know, even something as important as like your mortgage turned down or something like that, you know. And so um, 
it's you know it, it is it's a it's a very personal thing because poems are so personal that's why I mean, we haven't talked about this on the space before but i think you know i see inside like the the soul of people when i'm reading submissions even though i don't know who they are you know i'm still looking at their like deepest truths and their darkest secrets and things like that and that's what i'm really replying to when i'm sending out these rejection letters even though you know it's sort of done in bulk and i try to make uh um you know, I, I try to, to sort of distance myself as far away as I can from the individual. I still try to be personal at the same time to respect that, I think. Can I jump in really Yeah, quick? that's it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. Well, I was just going to say, it was interesting, the kind of, like, George was the curator. And even though I was sending the rejection letter, like, I wasn't the one who rejected them. And that somehow, like, helped me write it. And, like, I don't know it like put a buffer for sure. So it like depersonalized it in a sense. I like made it personal because I think, I think a reason that we make something personal is because we care about the organization that we're speaking on behalf of. And we don't want the people who are receiving the rejection to then dislike the organization or to, you know, have, have bad feelings. And it was amazing coming back to the, coming back to your point about, about responses that, you know, the, people who responded like so graciously I was like I was almost like brought to tears by how gracious people were and just you know they like sat and they responded in a way that it it wasn't just thanks it was like thank you so much like it's okay like it's even just an honor to 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 apply and it was just like so so rewarding and fulfilling um so I don't know not really clarity on either but maybe just a little bit of nuance to both of those points yeah that's definitely interesting and to with what Mark was saying, I, th- I, I think the idea of making it more impersonal as a shift is interesting. Um, I was excited when I got a Duotrope membership because they put stats on them, uh, you know, in terms of percent accepted and percent responded and stuff like that. And then I wheel- realized that the stats are wildly inaccurate because they're based on people's self-reporting and there are obvious biases for you're going to report an acceptance before that. And I was excited, though, to have more numbers. I think we need more numbers out there. I mean, Rattle and obviously does a great job with putting the numbers out there so that you know, and then you can, you know, become a little bit more comfortable with what your chances are. So let's go ahead. I don't think we've heard it yet from Mark Donowski, who of course is the editor of One Art, and I'm sure has a lot to say about rejections, having sent many thousands himself. So how are you doing today, Mark? Hey, Katie. Uh, thanks for asking. And yeah, I definitely have sent quite a lot and do have many opinions. Um, so for a long time, Um, I mean, I I was an editor for a different journal for many years, but for a long time, I was sort of poet first, poet and writer first. And so there's just like many years under my belt of just being on the receiving end of rejections and just so like, you know, focusing on how that felt before I was really thinking about it from the editor position. Um, And I guess a little bit in response to what Kreis is saying, um, I hear a lot of positive remarks, like almost surprisingly a lot about uh, how much people like the sort of careful, thoughtful, um, sort of tiered uh, personal form rejection that I sent. Um, there's a couple of them. There's there's one <laughs> I have that, uh, I'm not going to say which they are, but they're kind of obvious. But there's there's one that's sort of like, please don't send me more work essentially like it's trying to kind of get that vibe to come through like this is almost definitely not going to work out until you put in like your malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours and like really learn how to sound like yourself on the page 
Um, and then there's like one that I sent to most people at this point, um, which is hopefully quite friendly and, and definitely encourages people to submit again, uh, in the near future. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I do think the, the personal aspect is important. Um, something that occurred to me while the discussion was going on is that when I do send out rejections, it's only my name on it. And I do read, I read all the submissions and, um, my consulting editor, Louisa Schneidman reads some of them. I try not to overwhelm her too much, but when I want second opinions or a sensitivity reader, uh, she'll read some, but I don't ever put her name on rejections. Um, because I think as plenty of people know, sadly, you know, poetry is not exempt from like the rest of the internet that like people are super terrible to women, uh, in response to things. And so, uh, at least as like a, a guy, you know, like Tim was saying, like someone might say like, they'll fight you or something. And, uh, people, a few people have said some pretty insane things to me. Um, but you know, I certainly want Louisa to be spared that. And also that's like extremely extra disturbing when someone does that, uh, to like a woman or someone who's not a cis white man. <laughs> um, but just moving along to other things, um, a couple things that I've been thinking about leading up to this is, you know, I'm, I'm on the position of really, I like the traditional gatekeeping style, which I know is uh, frowned upon <laughs> by, by some, um, because I think that it does help writers sort of keep themselves honest. It's a bit of a, a litmus test. It ensures that you're kind of keeping yourself to a higher standard. Um, and, you know, I struggle a bit with like the, the concept you're talking about, Katie, like the hundred rejections a year, that one, that's a totally reasonable amount. I've seen sort of wild numbers that people try to achieve, like, you know, like, let's try to get a thousand a month. Um, and then that's like a little frustrating and kind of inconsiderate. It seems for editors, I feel like, uh, if you're just sending out like massive SIM subs, um, but I do get the concept and do appreciate the whole, like, throw poems at the wall, um, as in, like, literary journal editors, and just sort of see if it sticks, because it might be an indicator that, yes, in fact, it was ready for publication. Um, but I'd say that a caveat to that, that has really become a bigger deal to me over time, is I feel that poets and writers just really should want to be in that journal. Um, it's sort of like, we talked about in um, having a poetry collection, like you should really want that first and foremost on your shelf. And like, that's what matters most. And like, if you don't want to really be in the journal and like, you're just collecting publishing credits, it's like, well, what's, you know, there, I realize there's some point because some, uh, you know, publishers, small presses, big five, of course, like require, say like, you know, 60 to 80% of the poems be published, uh, in some capacity and they won't let them all be in the same journals or they'll only let so many be in a chat book. Um, but in the same breath, I think, you know, like you really want to be a little choosy about where, uh, you put your work because it really should matter. Yeah. It also matters in terms of, you know, there are of course fraudulent journals trying to collect their $5 through submittable and things like that. So you definitely want to be aware of where you're submitting to. And I view it as too, with trying to reach 100 rejections in a year, 
it's a really good excuse to get something even more out of reading a bunch of different poetry journals, right? Because you're learning about their style and everything, and you're reading more contemporary poetry, which is probably the problem with a lot of rejections that go out is a lot of people who send poems aren't actually reading contemporary poetry, which is the absolute best way to improve, I think, of course, in writing, writing great poetry today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, I think we should move a little bit on to how to react, right? We're halfway through the show. And I think it's important to, to talk about what our response as writers should be to a rejection. Um, and, and because you have to have your, your sort of two mindsets going at the same time, which I think is difficult for people. But to, to point this out, let me read a uh, message that uh, Henry Carlisle sent me on Facebook. Um, so Henry um, said, um, I sent poems several times to a magazine and each time they were rejected. After my second book came out, the magazine's editor praised my book and asked me to send poems. I reminded him that he had rejected several of the poems in that book. He said, now that I've seen your poems in a collection, I have a better sense of your work. So I sent him more poems. He rejected those too. Another poem was rejected by 13 magazines before it was finally published as a broadside. And that poem won a Pushcart Prize. Uh, I've guest edited three magazines. Editing is hard work. With the number of poets writing now, thanks in large measure to a proliferation of MFA programs, it's not surprising good work gets overlooked. And it, he goes on a little more there. But the, the point is, and there's this idea that um, everything is subjective. And so that whole throw all your submissions at the wall and see what sticks forever and don't take anything, you know, don't, don't take it personally at all. That's sort of one side of the coin. And there's another great story that I just, I just love this story. So I'll say, I'll, I'll share it again. Um, there was a, a writer, a fiction writer, who sent a poem to Mich Michigan Quarterly Review, like way back in the early 90s, and it was rejected. Um, and then a couple a year later, he accidentally forgot that he already sent it to the Michigan Quarterly Review, sent it to the same, uh, sent it to the Michigan Quarterly Review again. It was accepted that time by the same editor who had rejected it before. The editor said it was his favorite poem in the issue, uh, then said it was his favorite poem, uh, one of his or favorite fiction story, favorite story in the issue, uh, and then nominated for a Pushcart Prize. It won a Pushcart Prize. Um, an agent was reading the Pushcart Prize anthology, saw the, saw the story, and said, hey, do you have any uh, manuscripts? And he did have a manuscript, and it was published. Then Oprah Winfrey saw that manuscript, uh, <laughs> saw that book after it was published, and picked it as one of her books uh, that was on Oprah's you know, book club. And that was uh, She's Come Undone by Wally Lamb. And if Wally Lamb hadn't accidentally sent the same journal, the same exact story without editing it a single word a second time, he might not be a famous novelist now. So, um, you know, so there's that side of the, the argument that everything's uh, subjective and, and random and you can't trust, you can't take anything back, um, you know, from as feedback for a rejection. But at the same time, there is a massive element of objectivity. Um, you know, the fact that there is some subjectivity and some randomness involved doesn't mean the entire thing is uh, is, ra is random and subjective. And so I think it's it's really easy to fall into the uh, to the trap of of saying, well, it's so random and the odds are so low and it's just luck, you know, that it doesn't really reflect on the writing at all. And you really have to like look at both sides at the same time, I think, and and make your work better and see, you know, how does it what does it look like when this comes across the desk of somebody who's never read your stuff before, who's not familiar with your work before, like, how does it actually feel? And, and you have to really look in the mirror and, and reflect honestly on that too, because there's a massive objective element, like from, from my side of the desk, um, you know, it, it comes down to a few poems you're choosing between, 
But most of the choices, like 99% of the choices are just self-evident. And I think if it's too easy to take away that, you know, the subjective is, you know, everything is subjective, so don't worry about it. Um, you know, you're missing an opportunity to really improve and reflect on your work. And so I think that's an important aspect uh, of it, too. That's definitely very true. For, for me personally, the way I look at it is just like, one thing that I love so much about poetry is the pursuit of always being a better writer. I know I can always be a better writer. And honestly, if I ever stop thinking my poetry is improving, then I'm not even going to like poetry anymore. Because to me, it's, it's so much about the act of continually striving to, to do better, which is what I love the most in life and is the most evident, perhaps, in poetry. For example, Mark Donowski rejected all my poems the first time I submitted to him last fall, I believe. And then I kept working and, and it felt really good when he accepted the five I sent in the submission a couple months ago. So that was a very satisfying thing where I really learned. And to say, Mark, too, your personalized uh, rejection was really great. And I didn't feel sad, even though you've rejected all of them. I just felt like, all right, going to keep writing, going to keep working. Um, so let's see, we haven't heard from Dick Westheimer yet, who has uh, been widely published. And so I have to assume also been given a few rejections in his day just by nature of the beast. Um, well, I'm glad you brought up Mark um, because I think I had 10 rejections from Mark before he accepted my work. And one of the things that it made me do, because I had a fair amount of confidence in my poems, was look more carefully at the poetry he was, not just the poets, but the poetry he was accepting and understand he had an aesthetic that, that one art was not just a collection of poems. It was a collection of poems that worked for Mark. And so I, you know, it was, it helped me as a poet to, to do that. Um, similarly, you say I am widely published. Um, I have 289 rejection letters from Tim Green. I just checked. And the, the the issue is every one of them and and I, I does feel not personal but is sort of like oh you know it, it it's that feeling when i get especially early on it was an emotional moment not a persistent emotional moment because uh, it was a moment um but yeah of course of course as tim talked about each one of those poems was a reflection of, of me and to have it um um, declined, which is now the language that Submittable uses, which I think has a, is a slight improvement to rejection because you don't decline a person. You can re reject a person, which is something that I, I had written to you all about in, in, in Tim's tweet, which is, you know, the whole psychological issue with rejection, accept, even acceptance, you know, which, which implies your, um, you're dependent on external uh, validation. Um, a couple of things I wanted to, to speak to. Um, uh, one, one is uh, this throwing against the wall. I, I think, Katie, you've gotten to it a little bit. I hope that's not what I'm doing. That's so disrespectful to editors. Um, I, you know, I tried to read the journals and try to get a better sense of what they're taking and who the poets are they're taking and seeing if I think my poems will fit with what they're doing. You know, Mark's example is an example of me learning how to do that. You know, it's taken me a while in the last three years to do that. But it's not definitely no longer, although it was at first, uh, throwing against the wall. It's, it's saying, my poem would feel at home in this space, 
Um, uh, the second thing is, um, so, so I don't, I, I would never participate in a, how many rejections are you going to get this year? The, I think the better question is how many journals have you read a little bit of and felt that your poems would be at home there and submit it? Um, and the, um, I love uh, one more thing. I loved Tim's batting average on balls in play because it does speak to this fact that I assume that many of the poems that I've submitted to journals that I admire are actually would be at home there along with the hundred others that they had to fill 20 slots. Um, so uh, that, I, I like that notion that I've hit a lot of line drives maybe uh, I'm sure I've hit a lot of pop flies too, but uh, a lot of line drives that you know that the that unfortunately were right right at a fielder. Um, so uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that these this uh, you know Katie, you played into my hand when said widely published. I think I've had you know quite a few um, poems that publisher that that uh, um, editors on this call have accepted, but. It's a result of learning um, and learning and learning and trying to get better at the work and make it make sure that what I'm submitting to them is something that feels like it would be at home uh, in their pages. Yeah, well, that, that baseball metaphor works even better if you're a baseball fan, <laughs> because, uh, you know, even uh, in, in the it depends on this, the level, too, of your, your play, like in a, in a rec league softball league, your batting average on balls and play like 50 percent. And the majors, it's like 27%, like we talked about. So there's a whole bunch of analyses. It's a really deep uh, metaphor. But I, I do want to talk to um, one aspect. It, again, with this whole um, sort of targeting submissions, that comes with a problem too, even though it's great. So nothing is just as simple as like a black and white binary. Um, and something happens in the, in, po in the Rattle of Poetry Prize all the time. I just fight so hard against it was that is that um you know people think that since it's a big prize you know a longer poem is more weighty and has a better chance of winning so they tend to submit longer poems so then most of the stuff it gets longer poems and people see that and they don't send shorter poems because they see a longer poem winning and so it ends up taking this feedback loop where we're desperate for more variety and i beg people to send more variety every year year after year and year after year we still end up with you know mostly you know page and a half, two, three page poems is what, what's submitted there, doubling like the average length of regular submissions. And, and there's like almost, and I can't pick an inferior poem just because that's not what the submissions were. So it ends up being this, this really tough to break cycle. And so I think I would add the caveat to what you're saying before, Nick, although it is really good to target, like throw some oddballs in there too. Like say like, oh, I haven't seen this in your magazine, but I think you'd like it anyway. And, and that's something that we, I, I really appreciate. So if somebody says, um, you know, you know, your poems seem too dark, here's a funny one. I'm like, thank you. I've been looking for funny poems for so long, you know? And so there's that aspect too. So, so I don't know, just, just nothing is as easy as a, a sort of a simple model. You kind of got to have everything both ways. Well, um, I, I think it's a really good point. And I um, uh, was very proud that a little sonnet that I sent you wound up as a poetry prize uh, finalist, but I I don't see long poems as being the primary ones that 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 win in your contest. But maybe I'm just not reading closely enough. Uh, well, they're, they're longer than the norm, and and, and it really is true. I mean, they're longer than average for for yeah. for the magazine. 
Yeah, actually, last year when I was still able to uh, to submit to that, I did intentionally give longer poems. So I <laughs> aware of that. I was like, they seem to like longer poems at the rattle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's true. You, you kind of get stuck in a rut. You know, the other, it happens with a uh, formal poetry too, because the previous editor twenty years ago didn't like formal poetry as much, and so she said, I think in her guidelines, she said, um, you know, only send formal poetry if it's especially good or something like that. It was really like, sort of turned off a lot of formal poets and it took, you know, a decade to get back on their radar. And you sort of get in these grooves where people think they know what you want because, you know, you see a little bit and it's so easy to project out. Um, but, but the reality is, I mean, I want a lot of variety. And so, you know, it's, I want well-written poems that are like nothing we've had in previous issues. And so I'm looking for stuff that doesn't target me. So you, you got to think about that and keep that in mind too. Yeah, I think too with um with the prompt poems that I'm about to read, I really I want things that surprise me. That's honestly what I'm the most excited about is to read poems that surprise me. Yeah, there's another thing too. Um, you know, the somebody else I'll, I'll read another comment from my Facebook when I posted this. This is um Jamal Ayudin said um at least uh, editor or someone from the board could say what was wrong with the work. This may help with future work. It's very easy to say I don't like which uh, like it, which brings personal bias into the mix. And so there is this idea too that I think we fall into that it means that the a poem is sort of like a you know like a washing machine or something where there is a part that's broken. And if we just fix that part, it would be better. And you know, and that's one of the reasons I don't give feedback. Uh, my only feedback is you know this was the poem that got to the highest round of submitting. I, I tell people that all the time so they know which one to look for and have a little encouragement because I want people to go farther to send you know to be encouraged more and send more often. Um, but I don't go into detail because that is a kind of a false lead too. In the same way, you know, you can think, oh, if I just did this differently. But the truth is, and I, I'm sure this is the same with every other magazine. If there was one line that was off. Uh, and I could edit it to make it better. I would have just said, hey, I'll take this poem if we change that one line. Um, and that's really not how it works. I mean, if you look through submissions, anybody who you're, who's read a lot of submissions knows this, but we don't talk about it much, is that um, the real problem with most submissions is they're just boring. Like, they're not surprising. And, and you, know, you can't really, there's nothing wrong with that. It just hasn't gotten to a level where there's something that's really memorable about it. And, you know, and so thinking about a poem like it's some kind of machine where you have to have all the parts working, like it's a Rube Goldberg machine and like the dominoes didn't line up right or something. That, that's just not how poetry works. I mean, poetry is this sort of, I don't know, it's just creative outburst. And sometimes you find something really creative and surprising and sometimes you don't. And I think that's a main part of it too. And recognizing when you don't and just accepting that and keeping plugging at it until you do, you know, like the, the Randall Gerald a great poet gets struck by lightning, you know, three times or whatever it is in his life. I mean, that's, that's the way to think about it. Like you're just pushing forward and seeing what works and trying new things out all the time. And, and you have to keep that in mind too. Yeah, that's definitely true. I, I think that also it's just context for criticism. Maybe people are, are so sensitive to criticism because so often in society we dole it out when it's not, you know, a welcome venue. I mean, when somebody is sending you a finished poem and asking you to consider it, I think that it's, it's inappropriate to be like, oh, you know, it's like walking into an art gallery and then be like, oh yes, I don't actually like this painting that's completed and hanging on the wall and considered a finished piece of art. You know, context is so important. Yeah, that's a great point, Katie. And, uh, and I think that's a real symptom. I see it all the time, even just on, you know, posts on Facebook. 
you know, where it's something we publish, you know, I, I pick that as one of the 0.2% of poems that did something interesting that was worth reading. And then people are, you know, picking apart the line breaks or something. And I think that's a symptom of the MFA culture and the workshops that we're getting our poetry through, because that's how a, a class works. And I do it with a critique of the week, you know, picking apart and saying, how could this poem be better? And I think we end up sort of stuck learning, training ourselves to read poems that way instead of just experiencing them. And so then our feedback ends up being this kind of needless workshopping of something that's already a finished product in, in a lot of people's minds. And I think we should avoid that. And as an editor, I think we should avoid that too, because, you know, it's just, it's not my place. It's my place to say, hey, this is something I would like to offer publication because I think our readers would be interested in having it curated by us, you know? And that's all I'm saying. And if it's not, somebody else might love it. And I hope so. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, begrudge that. And I've seen poems I've passed on be published in Poetry Magazine. Um, so, um, you know, more power to that. It's, it's great. Um, but, you know, it's it just, it is what it is. Yeah, it definitely is. I think um, we should too. So we don't have a lot of time left. And I'm sorry to Mark and Elizabeth, who have both had their hand up for a while. But um, Mark Fitzpatrick would love to hear what, what you raised your hand to say. Yeah, this is a quick thing. I'm, I'm wondering how many people actually uh, know what they're looking for when they're submitting, like the purpose of their submission, other than to, to quote unquote, be published. Um, I, like, I, it, intention matters a lot, I think, in terms of how you're submitting and where you're submitting and, and why. So like, in my case, um, I had started out submitting to different journals and, and whatnot. And and I found like just through the process of waiting for acceptances or rejections, I got really antsy and decided to, to find other ways just to connect with with readers and with other artists. So that's what led me to self-publishing and to, to NFTs and, and that whole rabbit hole. But um, I'm, I'm just not sure if that's something that people consider. And maybe that kind of plays into some of the general angst around getting rejections as people don't quite know what they're after to begin with and then that that might lead to not um, learning from their rejections and i think as as dick was putting so eloquently like getting a, a feel for some of these journals and and learning from what they like to see or generally like to see um like those kinds of lessons just might go unheeded if people aren't kind of root causing their their original intent i think that's a really excellent point uh, I can say for me personally, the point was when I when I hadn't been published or curated anywhere, it was first to seek that initial, you know, vote of confidence in myself. And now, though, I'm a lot choosier. Um, and so the reason that I do it is because I want to align myself with a journal. It's a journal that I really respect what they're doing. You know, like I have great respect for what Mark Danowski is doing with with one art and for other places that I, I want to like. It's kind of like an NFT is doing a collaboration you know, it's how I feel now about submitting to one of these journals. So um, there are places that I, I used to submit to. And then I realized, like, why am I submitting to this journal? They don't put their poems online. I'm not, I, I don't submit to any any journal that doesn't post their poems online anymore. Um, just because I realized that's not something that goes goes with what I stand for in poetry. And also, if it's not curated in a, in a beautiful way, I want my poems to look beautiful. I can make them look pretty on a Word doc by myself. So why would I submit them to something that has a website from 1997? I don't do that anymore either, even though there are some 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 name journals, you know, that that have terrible websites and I don't submit to them anymore. Yeah, it's a great point, Katie. That's what I was going to say, too. I think Mark uh, Donowski sent us an article this morning where it lists, you know, a survey of what you actually want. 
from a, for a submission. Um, and, and validation is the number one thing, which we didn't need a survey to know that. I mean, you know, people start writing because somebody liked what they wrote and they like chase that feeling. And that's sort of the beginning of it for most people. And what people want is, you know, somebody's stamp of approval to say, yeah, what you're doing has value, which goes back again to why it hurts so much to be rejected. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's really important to, to think about exactly what you're saying, why you're actually submitting it. And it's one of the reasons I don't really send my poems out much is because I don't feel like I need that. And uh, so I, I've gone to the same path you have, Katie, where I want to align myself with, with magazines that I appreciate, um, you know, on a really sort of an ethical level, to be honest. And so that's why I like sending stuff to Mark uh, at One Art. Um, to be honest, I uh, decided to only send things to places that publish Rachel Custer because they, they don't go through the cancel culture, which is maybe something we could talk about in a future episode, too. But um, that's all I'm doing. Um, and so that's what matters to me is aligning myself with people I value. Um, so I think it's a great way to put it. Yeah. And I think just in general, something I'm going to take away from this space is just there are so many other places to get validation in poetry. And I think that looking at your rejections and, and then piling up is, is not the best place to look, you know, be a part of the workshop group, you know, go to Tim's critique of the week that he does. It's like a little family in there where it's, you know, I think everybody feels like it's a safe, good place to share their work where it will be respectfully commented on and you can learn a lot without it being your own poem. I know that that doing that a year ago radically just, you know, made me uh, instantly a better poet al almost. So, so that's great. So seeking it from that, sharing it with friends. Um, I think too, I, I get validation from sharing my poems on social media too, is the truth. And that's fun to be able to just instantly share a poem and then have somebody connect with it. So there are a lot of places. Um, and I love to having friends that I feel like I can help them feel validated in the creation of their art and, and as poets because too, one thing I think we should say is that every poem, at least to me, is valid and has, has a reason and has a purpose, even if it is quote unquote rejected later on. Yeah, definitely, Katie. I think that's something to keep in mind that everything is an attempt at something beautiful, you know? It's something sort of spiritually and, and metaphysically beautiful. And I think that's really worth remembering that that has value Oh, we have a couple minutes left. Let's go. Elizabeth set her hand up a lot. <laughs> Let's go to Elizabeth for the last like two minutes, and then uh, what do you got? What do you got, Elizabeth? <laughs> um, thanks. I just wanted to say, and this kind of goes to um, to 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 Chris's point, but something that struck me as I was writing the rejection for the for the community anthology was that the poets can go publish their poetry themselves on the blockchain, which is the whole reason that that the verse first was started. And I mean, we do have a high curatorial framework, but at the same time, like the reason that we exist is because individuals can transact their poetry how they want to. They don't have to listen to us. They don't have to wait for publications for rejections or approvals. Um, and I think that's really, that gave me a lot of solace in the whole process and also reinvigorated my resolve for the space and for poetry NFTs more broadly. And while I do think that there is definitely a, you know, um, an importance for, um, for publications and for journals and for curated collections of poetry, I think that the fact that people are able to do whatever they want with their poem and to share it however they want is fundamental and something that's new now and something that is just, I think, you know, has brought us all here, which is really special. So thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate the space. Well, you could not have segued that better. I'm so glad you said that because I had NFTs like in my notes and I would have been so frustrated in three minutes if I had managed to bring it up, which I don't think I would have if you hadn't said that, Elizabeth, because one thing I wanted to mention too is that 
with validation, what's amazing is that when you choose to collect an NFT poem from an individual poet, you're validating that for that person. You're saying this is worthy. And guess what? I can read your poem for free, but I'm going to send you, you know, these two tes or whatever is validation so many times so inexpensively. So it is like a different form of validation that is uh, very personalized, which is exciting, too. Yeah, definitely. And there's no uh, rejection either on the blockchain. So we do love uh, the freedom that that provides. We've been talking about that for a lot of episodes and definitely agree. So you've got a poem you're going to read, Katie, right? <laughs> oh, man, I was hoping you forget. So I feel like I have to read the poem that Tim tweeted out <laughs> during this space because it feels like like a letdown if I don't read Francesca Bell's uh, rather inappropriate poem. I think it's hilarious, too, that we, like this poem, this whole space would close out on such a wholesome note until this poem that you published back almost 10 years ago or 10 years ago actually right Tim and I have to ask really quickly before I read it like what crossed your mind when you when you read this poem in the submission queue uh, yeah <laughs> it's actually really funny yeah it was about 10 years ago it's one of the most popular poems we've published it's appeared in like I don't know O Magazine and all sorts of places like that and um yeah, I mean, when I read it the first time, I said, oh, God, I'm going to have to publish this. Because <laughs> it is funny. And um, and uh, and at the editorial meeting, um, you know, it was uh, Alan and I don't know who was it was Ashley at the time, maybe somebody else was that uh, I remember the three people there. And uh, they were all making fun of me a lot throughout the entire, uh, <laughs> entire process of picking this poem. They read it out loud a couple of times, too. They didn't make me read it out loud, at least. But there's that. There is. Well, Francesca Bell is one of my personal favorite poets, so there is that. My mom is in the audience. Um, I will try to forget that fact while I read this little poem to close out this space. Okay. <laughs> oh, God, that's not a good start. I'm already laughing. I'm sorry. Okay. This is Francesca Bell's poem. I long to hold the poetry editor's penis in my hand and tell him personally, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to pass on this. Though your piece held my attention through the first few screenings, I don't feel it is a good fit for me at this time. Please know it received my careful consideration. I thank you for allowing me to have a look, and I wish you the very best of luck placing it elsewhere. <laughs> okay, I, I only laughed at the beginning and the end. I'm going to get myself, I'm going to validate my reading of that poem. <laughs> yeah, well, we do uh, say we want more humor and poetry, and that definitely qualifies definitely does sorry mom so thank you guys so much for tuning in i am leaving this space with like a newfound appreciation for the ways in which i do feel validated and how how well that's not really tied to to where my poems are accepted or declined yeah it's been an interesting uh, it's an interesting topic and and good to, to clear the air a little bit and get get some of the information out there uh, so what do we have next week katie you want to tell everybody uh, what we're doing before you mosey on out uh, oh, yes, yes. Let me open that document, make sure. Oh, I think we are looking at our our current favorite poems, so like contemporary modern favorite poems, which I think we're looking to kind of balance the spaces where like this obviously was, was one where we only had a space with, with two poems that were read. And so next week we'll be, we're going to be asking for people to, con you know, contribute their favorite poem written by other people and do some readings that way. Because we're probably, we might end up doing the space in the car too, which will be interesting <laughs> actually next week. <laughs> It will be fun. But yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing, you know, not only your favorite poem read, but then also maybe a little bit about why, you know, I think it'll be very entertaining. Definitely, definitely. So I just want to thank all the speakers today. 
um, Mark Fitzpatrick and George Bassana, Mark Danowski, Dick Westheimer, Elizabeth Sweet. Thanks so much. You guys really contributed great things. And I feel like I learned a lot from this. And so I hope that the next thing you guys all get from Submittable is an acceptance because I accept you all is awesome. <laughs> you guys have a great week and we'll see you uh, in a week. Bye.